This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks very much for joining us on Second Captains at the Irish Times after a fairly spectacular weekend of sport, which ended with Bubba Watson as Masters champion, Dublin and Derry in the league final, Liverpool top of the Premier League. Stephen Gerrard, presumably even more beloved than ever by their supporters after his emotional post-match reaction. Well, see, it was the emotion, it was the initial emotion, the almost, is this guy hyperventilating? What's going on here? Which was swiftly followed by a realisation that he has to calm himself down here. He has to tell everyone else to calm down and think of Norwich while he himself is going <laughs> utterly nuts. <laughs> we need to yeah. listen to this wild-eyed lunatic telling us to calm down, <laughs> is what the Liverpool team were saying. I, th- I thought it was great, actually. It was great, yeah. yeah. Um, Gerard overcome by emotion. Um, maybe they were tears of gratitude to the referee, <laughs> uh, uh, who had let Liverpool off on a number of occasions, but on such... On such days, maybe that's how you know things are going to go your way. Mm. When there is no other explanation, destiny. That's the word, Ken. May have something to do with it. And a pretty ballsy performance. Um, a pretty brilliant goal by Philip Coutinho as well. I thought the Sterling goal was, was the best goal, actually. Um, at the foot speed of Raheem Sterling, that goal was just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's I have no idea how he can move his feet that many times in that sort of space of time. If you look back at the goal... You described it in the Times today as like a sparrow, I think. Well, that's the only thing that moves that fast. Sort of hops around that you can't actually see it. You know, and he he seemed to be almost kind of bouncing on the balls of his feet. And the whole thing was happening at such... What what was amazing was he was moving at such speed himself. His feet are moving at such speed. But nothing was happening. You know, the ball was just sitting there. Uh, and all that was happening was he was moving company and heart. By the way, what was Joe Hart doing? I'm not sure what Joe Hart was yeah. doing. It was like he was running up behind Vincent Company to try and hide behind him. You know what I mean? Thinking, Joe Hart, you've got a goal there. Look after the goal. Let company look no, after Joe the No, Joe Hart player. was thinking strength in numbers here. 
Yeah, if, so me, if myself and company get right up close, we'll close down the angle. If we for, we'll form a two-man wall. It'll be quite difficult for him to shoot past. He should have said, there. "Company, you go right. You, uh, uh, you fall for the little dummy he's going to do. I'm going to go left. Yeah. Between us, we'll snuff him out." But then Hart got know, his end of the bargain wrong. I, and yeah, I know it's never happened before. But if this ball manages to go directly through Vincent Company's body, I'm going to be, be there. in the perfect position. Yeah. Stop the ball. What are the odds of, of Sterling getting such velocity on the ball that it, it rips through the torso of Vincent Company, one of the biggest men in the league? That's when Joe Hart. And, you know, it comes, comes at me via the exit. And is it going to have enough velocity to go through me as well? Probably not. I'm, I'm going to gamble no. I would say that the ball would probably lodge somewhere in Joe Hart's midriff. You know, yeah. they would be, it would have enough velocity still to make an entrance wound. Yeah, but, but not no, an exit. No exit wound. And look, and he's done his job. <laughs> in that in that yeah. case, he oh, stopped the ball. Yeah. You know they're yeah. going to have to get Pantelimon oh, on. Uh, they're going to have to get Lescott on. But company's ball, probably dead. It's still nil. But nil. Joe Hart has a chance at survival. Um, are Liverpool going to win the league now? Um, well, they're in a good position. I mean, they now have to. I mean, it's all building to this this climax. Uh, Liverpool against Chelsea, uh, and you would imagine winning that game means they're they're probably going to win. I thought Liverpool Man City was a climax. It was that no, was it just it, that was a false climax. Yeah. It's like such as the um, so well crafted is the narrative of this season. It's incredible that what you thought was the end is <laughs> actually another end. It's like uh, the Return of the King, you know, the the third Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, just when you thought it was over, when the ring finally over. is spills into the, the fiery lava of Mount Doom. Yeah. There's, there's another forty five minutes of movie left. Well, hopefully, it's not going to be like that forty five. Lord minutes. of the Rings drags a little bit, doesn't it though? Yeah, <laughs> if it's going to be like that, forty-five minutes essentially. <laughs> the know, entire franchise drags a small bit. Yeah, it that's does. To be fair. Liverpool will win the league with with a couple of uh, two-nil wins. Nothing will really happen in any of the games. Jose Mourinho will will shake hands with Brendan Rodgers. Will congratulate Liverpool. He'll say they were the better team. That would be the uh, Lord of the Rings ending. Loads more about that in second captain's football a little bit later on. The Masters developed into a straight shootout between Bubba and Jordan Spieth, who was trying Ken, to become the youngest ever player to win the Masters. Now, what I was aged twenty, uh, just just that was pretty young. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, it was really exciting for a short while. Well, for the first nine, it was, uh, the front nine it was quite exciting. Developed into a shootout between these two guys from quite early on. You're thinking, well, that's that's really good. I mean, it's, it's, it's match play. It's the two of them. Um, also, when I was when you're half watching the Masters and also doing a little bit of other work, it's great because you only have to glance back up when you see these two, mm. and you can ignore all the others. So yeah. it's good for me personally, but that's just a, a personal thing. Murph, you don't people, like subplots? No, I just like the two guys going at it and preferably playing on the same hole linear, at the same time. Linear narrative. Um, fortunately, the problem is when one of them starts falling apart, as Jordan Spieth did. Uh, falling apart is a bit harsh, but starts dropping a couple of shots. You know, ah, it's over now. And but was yeah. grind him into the dirt. Yeah, no. The, well, what you expect to see are birdies, bogeys, eagles. The whole back nine of Augusta is set up just so that happens, so that it's not like Paris all the way in. That's effectively what we had. Yeah, I think and particularly the, on the final day, the, the, the Harrington, Potter Harrington always says that it's quite, they just want you to have a charge at it in that last day, yeah. so they'll make the pin positions easier. They'll Whatever about bogeys, what they're really looking for is birdies and eagles and a few scores yeah. at that stage, but it wasn't really happening for anyone outside of Bubba and... Yeah, I think in the the final two pairings, I think there were two or three birdies between the four players over the back nine, which is very, very much so not a bit disappointing. Even though Bubba won again, possibly. yeah, I mean, it it's it's not like it's the FA Cup final where it's a disappointment every year. I mean, oftentimes it is very good, but you know, sometimes it can be a little boring. And you know, you kind of I I'm such an optimist about the US Masters that it's literally Bubba Watson is walking up the 18th 
fairway. He's already hit his approach, solid approach to the 18th. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't think he's going to catch fire this year. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't really see the magic happening this year. Uh, the Allianz League, the final is going to be between Derry and Cork. I mentioned this, uh, between, sorry, uh, Derry and Dublin. Mayo were beaten by Derry and Dublin came from 10 points down to beat Cork, which is good. All these late comebacks Dublin have done this time and time again in the league. But I have a bit of a theory here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put it to Oshie McConville and Malky Clerkin in a moment, but I would like to run it by you guys first. Okay. Here, road, road test it with us. Exactly, yeah, before I ask the, yeah. the experts. The biggest issue, this is my theory, facing defending All-Ireland champions. Okay. Isn't the lack of hunger, which is talked about quite a lot, or that they spend too much time parading the trophy around the schools and take their eye off the ball and maybe go on a team holiday and miss a bit of training at the start of the year. None of those things. So they get lulled into a false sense of security such that they always think that they can tap back into their ability to dig out a result in any game. Uh, Cork is a prime example a couple of years ago. They win in All-Ireland. The following year, they come from behind a couple of times. And there's almost an assumption there. Six, seven, eight points down against Mayo in All-Ireland quarterfinal. And, they, and, they're, and you're watching thinking, well, they're a second-half team. Um, which is all well and good, but ultimately you end up getting caught and losing one of those games. Mm. And, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to happen to Dublin, but it's the one thing holding me back from thinking Dublin are going to go all the way this year. Yeah, even though I, I mean, think I they think, probably will. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're hunting around for negatives in what is a very, very positive situation. Well, to be no, in. it's a serious. It's a serious point. This. It's all great having subs. It's all great having depth. It's all great having the ability to come back. But you can't keep going ten points down in matches. You will ultimately lose. Yeah. No. Yeah. I. That is. That is true. That is true. But they scored two goals and twenty points yesterday and looked absolutely brilliant for half the game. Like unbelievably good for half the game. I mean, so good that no team could live with them. I and, think, you know, I think that's yeah. a pretty good ratio. I mean, I if you can play half a game looking better than any team has looked for the last 10 years, then you're probably in a pretty good position. Maybe it's lack of hunger. <laughs> Maybe there's just not they enough look, hunger in the They team. look reasonably hungry to me again. Yeah, they do. They, they look hungry. They look, but almost it's, ravenous. You almost think it's, it seems to only, they only really start to get hungry when, um, when they've been slapped around a bit. That's a little bit perverse, you know. Mm. So uh, I've tried to separate the the impulses to to eat, to consume, to devour from um, the sort of arousing uh, sort of uh, stimulus of being slapped around by an inferior team. <laughs> Oshin Maliki, thanks very much for popping into the studio. Not at all. Thanks. Dublin have come back from the dead quite a few times. Oshin, is this the was this one the most spectacular so far? Do you think? Yeah, it was spectacular in that they looked completely out of the game at half time, but you just knew there was a couple more gears there. You knew that when they brought a bit of intensity that Cork might not be able to deal with it. And it was going to be a great test for the Cork team. But uh, I have to say, looking at Dublin yesterday, and again, I've said this a couple of times now, but it's scary for the rest of the country when you see what come off the bench yesterday. And... The whole tempo of the game sort of changed on one person I felt, and that was Michael Darren McCauley. I thought that you know he brings that you know all the time, you know that enthusiasm. That he looks as if he's out for it. You watch some of the, some of the Cork players around the middle of the field. I mean, he was so so much quicker to the ball than they were. It might it might even be only his body language or the way he goes about things, but he makes you believe that he really you know wants to up the tempo for everybody. When he upped the tempo, everybody else seemed to up it as well. Then, with 25 minutes to go, well, first of all, they brought on, on Ono Gar, who I think you know has the potential to be whatever he wants to be. He's strong, he's he's, uh, he's quick, he, he's 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 mobile for a big man, you know, in around the square. 
But he also now has added the fact that he can kick the ball over the bar, which is yeah. essential for a forward. Like, and and you know he he brought something to them. But then after twenty five minutes to go to bring on Bernard Brogan as well, who's not a bad he's not a bad substitution at that time of the game, especially when the game is in the melting pot. And seriously, Owen, for everybody else in the country, it is scary when you consider what they have to bring off the bench. Well, I did put forward my theory to Kieran earlier on, and that is that maybe I'm just constantly in damage limitation mode in terms of the Dublin hype so far this year. But all Ireland winning teams can sometimes, I think, fall into the trap of, of thinking they can tap into that every week. And we saw it possibly with Dublin a couple of years ago when they never really... they assumed there was a big performance in them and they never really got it but maybe more particularly Cork uh, the year after they won the All-Ireland were forever coming from behind they were a second half team that had a, the best squad so everyone thought but ultimately if you keep leaving yourself uh, 10 points down you're going to lose a championship match Yeah you probably are but I think what Jim Gavin has done so far is you know he's kept his his uh, his players hungry he's kept the majority of them hungry he's given the boys football who really need football like Michael, Michael Darren McCauley is one of those players who you look at him and you think he needs to be playing every week, you know. And I think you know he he kept Bernard Brogan fresh. He's brought Alan Brogan, introduced him slowly but surely back into it. O'Gara, he's left him hungry, you know. And even Kevin McManaman, who's somebody who will probably revert to that uh, super sub role, you know, that he has done over the last number of years. So you don't think that there's a danger of what I'm talking about there that you can think, well, we we've won it two out of three years. We came from behind in the league all the time we can actually afford to make slow starts but that could potentially catch up against No, the I don't think they can. I don't think they can. I don't and I don't think that will happen. I think that that will be ironed out before the championship comes because one of the things is I think he yesterday it wasn't the dub's strongest team. I think he probably has four or five changes to make before he finds his his best team. And when he finds his best team and they're motivated and focused for championship games I don't see I don't see anybody stopping him. Maliki, it's not an issue for you. Relying on, I guess the point is that they are coming back at the moment, but you don't you don't see that as a potential problem. They are coming back, but they're also she makes it the really good point that at no point yet has their best team started a game. You know, their best team finishes a fair few of the games. Their best team doesn't start any game or hasn't started any game in the league so far. Um, and like even something like you, like you say about Owen O'Gara, he comes on annoyed these days like he that's that's definitely the second time maybe the third in the league that he's come off the bench with the number 14 on his back yeah as in he's been named during the week and then he's not he doesn't start he comes on you can see that he's just pissed off mm. and he comes on and he, get, he runs it blazes out for the first ball throws people out of his way he's ultra physical really dynamic bang over the bar, bang over the bar. He never smiles when he puts it yeah. over the bar. He looks really angry. I think as well <laughs> that, uh, that if they were grinding out these results, maybe your point might be a little bit more valid, but like 2.13 in the last 33 minutes, that's yeah. what Dublin hit yesterday. That's scary. Now, the and the other side of it is that, you know, this can can invade the minds of of the rest of the country. Like, you know, when Cork started leaking scores yesterday... Dublin might have been maybe five or six points down and you're really starting to worry for Cork. And they could do nothing to change it. Like, you, you talk about Michael Darren McCauley changing the tempo. Cork had their had their ace in the hole. They sent on Aidan Walsh. I don't know if anybody noticed. Yeah, he couldn't But get they in sent the on Aidan Walsh. Yeah. And he, the difference in just an ability to impose himself on a game, even get into a game, 
I mean, I think he might have touched the ball twice. I do remember at one point he went up for a ball, it broke behind him, and either Macaulay or I think it might have been Paul Flynn who came into it hugely in the second half as well, in a really kind of physical way, set off with it, and was just kind of threw his hand in the air and just went, ah, I'm done here. And it was just the 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 difference that they have in terms of battalions to bring off the bench and the hunger in them, um, like... You wouldn't say that they've particularly discovered any players during the league. Alan Brogan might be the only one, really. Uh, he's he's the only sort of one that's going to... And, and his place, is he's just going to take Kieran Kilkenny's place from the All-Ireland team from last year. It's an interesting... Uh, a couple of you have already mentioned the effect on the rest of the country. Is, is that actually a factor? Or should you do, say, the Donegal players watching that match over the weekend or the Kerry players and trying to think of teams who might be in contention? Do they look at it and think, geez, the, the Dubs are pretty strong this year? Of course they do. Um, they'll look at league semi-finals. I think you know. Yesterday we probably had three of the best teams in the country, and Derry are one of the teams that have sort of bucked the trend this year. In fairness to them, sort of they haven't come out of nowhere. They have been building gradually, but I didn't see uh, Derry in a league final. If anything, I've seen them relegated from Division One. So they've completely, you know, uh, turned their thing around. You listen to the players after they talk about the camaraderie which has never been there. I've spoke to you about that before. It has <laughs> never been there. So if, if that's theirs now, then they've made a, a huge leap you know, towards it, to where they need to be. They're not re- re- relying on uh, Owen Bradley coming back into the mix, you know, which people were talking about. Not talking about it so much anymore. Mark Lynch has completely turned his game around. Uh, nine points, 1-8 against the Dubs. He, he, he suits that... that uh, that playmaking role. Yeah, but talk also, to us a bit more about Mark Lynch because he's, uh, I think, 28 years of age. I was yeah. surprised to read today. You're, you're kind of wondering why he hasn't exploded like this before. Exactly, because when he was coming through as a minor, when he played uh, with Jordanstown, I mean, people mm. set him up and said, this guy's going to be the next big thing. Two things happened, right? Okay, Mark Lynch, I don't think, kicked on in the way that he probably should have. Um, he sort of is a very... Uh, as a younger lad, he was a very reserved sort of character. And I think he's he's you know he stuck his chest out in the last couple of years and said right I'm going to be a leader now and I think that has really helped him. It's so obvious yesterday. Yeah, and I think the other thing about it is that now he sort of looks around and he says right I have the boys who can who together we can we can go on which makes a hell of a lot of difference. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If you if you feel as if you're in a team and you're not really particularly going that far, are you really going to put yourself out there? Because and I, don't, I think that's a, that was a fault in Derry football that they that they didn't have enough people to stand in behind you. But, when al- you, but also, the whole of Mark Lynch's Derry career, the Derry forward line has built, been built around either Paddy Bradley yeah. or Owen Bradley. True. And neither of them are there now. But two very good players, and this is the thing. So oh, two terrific players. Yeah. Was there an over-reliance? Is that, is that what it was? That there was Absolutely. An, an over-reliance I, I, on those I guys? I remember being at a, at a, at a Derry Monaghan match about, I can't remember the year, I think it was 08 maybe or 07, no, no, not 07 anyway, because Monaghan got to the Ulster final that year. Anyway, whatever year it was, Paddy Bradley beat Monaghan on his own. I think he like scored 112 or 113 or something like that. And the whole Derry crowd, every from, from five minutes in, were going, what are you doing? Get it into Bradley, get it into Bradley. And yeah. that was their whole, that was what it was all built around. And Mark Lynch was on the pitch, you know. Yeah, and, weird... and, and Mark Lynch was 24 at the time, you yeah. know. And there was no, but there was no... Everybody, everybody else. There was also a sense that everybody else in the Derry team had to find their own sort of level, yeah. and the Bradleys were that bit above it. Yeah. The only thing is, though, uh, Mark Lynch has scored a goal in seventeen points in his last two games. Isn't there very quickly going to become a Mark Lynch? This is going to very quickly become a Mark Lynch centric 
Derry team. Well, you have to go. No. Well, Mark Lynch is not that sort of character, though. Mark right. Lynch brings players along with him, I think. Mm. You know, I think he has he has matured so much in the last number and of years. And if you saw a lot of the scores yesterday, right, he scored the two best points of the day, and just one near the end of the first half and another one about halfway through the first half. But the first goal was set up by him running from midfield, running straight at the heart of the defence. So the Bradleys, Ocean would have taken too much on themselves, would have felt that it, it's supposed to all go through them. But well, also, also other coaches would have decided to yeah. on that yeah, tactic. And, and the other know. thing was that at times there wasn't a hell of a lot else. There wasn't that many more options, you know what I mean? And and I suppose it was Route 1. And, and as Maliki says, it walked lots and lots of days. That's I mean, they had, they, you know, Paddy Bradley had a fabulous career, you know, with Derry. Mm. But essentially, that was their Achilles heel as well because if you keep playing the one one man all the time, it's very, very easy to mark down the line. I mean, eventually, coaches are going to catch on to it. You yeah. play, two men, play one man in front and different things like that. And when his effect was nullified in yep. the latter stages of the championship, then Derry really suffered. So how serious are Derry this year? You thought they'd get relegated. They're now in a league final against Dublin. Well, they're, a ser- they're a serious outfit. Uh, I don't think they have... Like, I think, you know... We still don't really know what Donegal is going to bring, mm. you know, come championship. But certainly, uh, Derry are definitely in the mix, and they could win an Ulster championship because the Ulster championship, okay, it'll be tightly fought and stuff, but it's not the it's not the greatest quality Ulster championship I've ever seen. Uh, it's not greatest quality, but it is one of the tighter ones. It'll be there. There, it'll be tight. Well, you've got Monaghan, uh, Tyrone, uh, Derry. And Donegal, who realistically can can win it, so that's Cavan could win it. Cavan have the harder end of the draw. Oh man, play Cavan! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not for Cavan. Discreet veil over Good. that last remark there from Oshie. But I mean, I think the 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 point about Derry is that everything has gone really, really well for them. Up to now, you know they've had a really, really good year so far. Their next two games are against Dublin in Crow Park in a National League mm-hmm. final, and against Donegal in the first round of the Ulster Championship. How? And I was asking the question myself, and it sounds unbelievably negative, but how does Brian McIver prepare his team to lose both those games and still have a say in the championship? Because they really could. Like they, they look like they're in the top seven, six or seven teams in the country, and they should be aiming for the August Bank. You were holiday. talking about this last week, about the effect that it can have getting to league yeah, finals exactly, and, and losing yeah. it. Mom, have you got to grasp the nettle here and actually get to these big games? Well, that is true. But, I mean, you know, is is that a thing that, that Brian McIver should try and do now? I don't know that you prepare them for losing. Yeah. I think you... you I, I, all I would say is that we've seen Derry have brilliant National Leagues before and flame out really badly in the Championship. And all of the old sort of Derry recriminations <coughs> and infighting yeah. and all the rest, it doesn't take very long for that to rear its rear its head. When, really, if they lose the next two games, they're, you know, that's... Two of the yeah. two of the teams most likely to win. It is a danger, country. obviously. You know, um, the, the only thing I'd say is that that we are, when we talk about Derry as a league team, how many of these players are we talking about? Yeah, We're talking Lynch, Doherty. Is, was Enda Lynn around in 08? Uh, you know, the, the, no, Chrissy McCaig? No. Like, so, they're, it's a young team, you know. They, they, they don't really have that uh, that in their history. Oshin, last quick word on Derry. Do I think the first important thing is that they don't get hockeyed against Dublin. Mm. You know, that they do, mm. you know, pull it up to Dublin. Uh, and I think if they do, they can take that in. But I think they can beat Donegal. Yeah. You know, from what I've seen of Donegal so far, I mean, I think they can beat Donegal. Mm. I think I think the the best set up now to to win an Ulster Championship of all the teams is in it. Now the two losing teams yesterday, Maliki. I, I guess everyone's looking at Mayo and 
I know you argued in your piece today that you can just lose a game and it doesn't have to be this massive thing. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be part of a broader mm. kind of an idea. That but they, Mayo and Mayo. But it's Mayo. <laughs> but, uh, but there is, I was quite very interested by James Horne, the quotes you have from him saying we were very poor, we were very flat. Derry would have won by more if the game had gone yeah. on, which is not, not, it's not that often that a, a manager comes mm. out with that. He seemed unbelievably negative about the whole thing. Especially not a manager of a team who's, uh, who were winning ten, with 10 minutes to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was very disconsolate afterwards, actually. He was very, very downcast and sort of took, took a fair bit of it onto himself. What I, what I was saying in, in the piece was that um, when Mayo lose in Croke Park, everybody reaches for Mayo losing in Croke Park. Like, Mayo's record in Croke Park under James Horan is, is actually better than Kerry's in Croke Park over the same period, you know. Yeah. They win two games there a year, they lose a couple of games there a year. Uh, it's, a, it's a function of them getting to the latter stages of... Of championships, I don't think it has to be. I don't think actually. I th- I think yesterday's defeat was actually far more serious than a, than a psychological problem playing in Grove Park. I thought they looked more disorganised yesterday than I have seen them in an awful long time. They were so ragged at the back. The second Derry goal had Sean Leoma Goldrick. He must have had the ball in his hand for maybe eight nine seconds around the the Mayo Square. And in those eight or nine seconds, he wasn't dispossessed, he wasn't tackled properly, he managed to swan past Keith Higgins. And then when he gets in front of the goal, standing on the edge of the small square is is the other wing back. Just standing there waiting for a tap-in. Like, you know, that's nothing to do with a psychological problem that Mayo have playing in Crow Park. That's just really bad organisation and really ragged. And this is against the team playing with 14 men and had been playing with 14 men for 25 minutes at that point. Like so that's that that is potentially a far more serious thing mm. than than any psychological thing. But I do find that that sometimes with Mayo, Mayo are maybe the one team in the country who are never allowed an off day. You know, we can't just say, "Ah, oh, yeah, they were terrible yesterday." It it has to be. It has to go to a deeper part of their soul. Yeah, no, I, I actually think you're absolutely right. Um that it's uh Yesterday had nothing to do with Crow Park no. and had nothing to do with um, uh, an inability. To, I mean, this is a league semi final. You know, these are the games that may win or mm. they lose, but they lose or win on its merits, mm. not uh, not any further. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be worried, though, because it was pretty bad yesterday. Oh, Shane? Yeah, the fundamentals just seem to be. People say about, about, about uh, Mayo that they're an enigma wrapped up in a conundrum, and yesterday was. Yesterday proved that point to me mm. that I was watching and I'm thinking, what you know, what has changed from what got Mayo were basically out of the league after what the first two games, and they got themselves back in by playing, you know, structured proper football. Uh, Lee Keegan was the only uh, wing back that I seen over the last number of games that had the license to go forward. All of a sudden, we get the Crow Park and everybody's everybody's up. going, you know, forward. and. And for, I just thought this was an opportunity for them to maybe to to, to try out a few things, uh, win the game, of course, but to try out a few things in the process of doing that. And one of the things was to, to try and keep it a little bit tighter at the back. Not not that you know you you sit back or anything like that. There, they're never going to you know sit back yeah. and they're never going to retreat. They're never going to play like a Donegal. But they got to change, and there they got to change. Quickly. There was one point. I can't remember was is in the first half. Which half were they playing into the into the canal end? Um, 
picture. I can't second half. Second half. They're yeah. playing in the canal end. Aidan O'Shea uh, picked up a ball around his 45. He was standing on his 45 and, and he let it off down the wing. And Kevin Keane, who had come on for Jarek Hafferke, ran past him to try and get involved. And it meant that Aidan O'Shea, standing on his 45, was the deepest Mayo footballer. He was the Mayo footballer closest to the hill. <laughs> and he had to roar at Kevin Keane to come back. And he, had to, he was waving him back and he had his hand But hold on, is this not what Dublin were doing last year and getting lauded for it, having their wing-backs bomb on, playing all this His Wing-backs, corner-backs, full-backs, everybody ahead of the midfielder, standing on his own the goal, Hopefully the goalkeeper was... OK, Rob Henley <laughs> stood his ground. You, you, watch, you watch when Dublin bomb forward. Yeah. You watch when Dublin yeah. bomb forward. This is true. Either, either uh, Flynn or, or, or Connolly, or not necessarily Connolly, but the, but the, uh, the midfield, hmm. uh, Keanu Sullivan in particular hmm. last year... He'll go back and he'll fill in. Yeah. You know, Philly well, McMahon ran forward in the first half yesterday uh, and was involved in a, in a move that ended with a wide. And when the ball went wide, he went and picked up one of the cornerbacks so that they couldn't take a, a quick kick out. It took him about a minute and a half to get back to his cornerback position, but his cornerback position was covered yeah. all the whole but time. But James Horn seems to me to be a really smart <laughs> manager and he puts a lot of thought into these things, so would he not? Surely he's recognising what we're talking about here, uh, and, and there must have been a plan, or there, or there must be part of a, a, a greater plan. Or is it possible that maybe one or two of his players just maybe went off message a little bit yesterday? Yeah, both, and and maybe they just thought, you know, we're playing Derry, we beat them the, the previous week, and maybe we'll we'll you know we'll just have a real go at them today. You know, we'll we'll all get forward, we'll all get on the scoreboard. One problem with that, another problem with that is that you watch towards the end of the game when Mayo really needed a goal and everybody was bombed. There was no room for anybody to manoeuvre. Mm. That took some, a lot of the Derry boys back in and that essentially, you know, when, I'm sure when Brian McCabe was looking at it, he says, well, perfect, I don't need to do anything here because Mayo help, actually helped me out because they have that many players in the, in the opposing or in their, uh, fi, inside our 50-yard line that... There's no room to manoeuvre. I mean, Mayo towards the end of the game should have been just happy to kick the ball over the bar, but mm. they couldn't even do that. You know, at that stage, we're I think the thing, one thing you'd be worried about with Mayo is that some of the changes that 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 they've brought, say, the Keith Higgins playing in the forwards. <coughs> Keith Higgins is playing in the forwards because they have a they are have a problem with with forwards. They just you know it's it's a long standing thing and however much they kinda of sneer at people who bring it up, it it is true. It is what they didn't have enough of them in the All Ireland last year and Dublin did and that was the difference. Um but Keith Higgins playing in the forwards seems to have completely messed up their their play at the back. And the plan just seems to be a little kind of higgledy piggledy now. Like they in, in say in the black card era, your best pure defender playing in the forwards doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. You know, it's, it makes sense for him to be up there because he's a really good footballer. He's really dynamic. He's really quick, and he generally does the right thing with the ball. But in an era where you you can't have as many men back, um, you, and you know, like blanket defence made heroes out of a lot of sort of average defenders because they didn't have to really defend. He's a really pure defender. I don't know if having him in yeah. the forward line and, really makes an awful lot of sense. And the more I look at it, the more you know you see this. You actually see this loads with club teams. You know that have a county player, they, and they actually don't know what to do <laughs> yeah. with their county player. You know the amount of times you see a club team 
with an intercounty midfielder playing at wing forward. <laughs> you know, we've all seen this a million times. You, know, you see them in the club. He's a real fit. Yeah, we've got, we've, got, <laughs> we've got two pretty decent lads who can play at midfield, and that means we can free up our midfielder to play wing forward. When in effect, you're just playing a guy out of position, you know? Yeah. And you, instead of saying, right, here's all of the positions that Keith Higgins can play because he's a brilliant player who could actually play in pretty much any line. Yeah. Instead of saying, right, you know, God, we, we could play him anywhere. Just play him cornerback because he's a really, really good cornerback. I just want a word on Cork before we go, Ocean, because the three of us, um, Malachi was in with us last week, talking quite a lot about them and had a lot of good things to say about them. Uh, in a way, will they be potentially less damaged by Mayo or do we think that possibly it's no harm that they got caught in the end by Dublin in some ways? Is that a little bit too optimistic? They still still show quite a lot of what they're about over the course of the first yeah, half. They, they have shown a lot of what they're about, but they still lack aggression. They're not direct mm-hmm. enough. I think you know the intensity that that they're going to be. That if they if they make it to Crow Park, which they probably will, quarter final. Well, in fact, they probably they will make it to a quarter final stage in Crow Park. They need to up their intensity. You know, they don't seem to be fit to play at the championship <coughs> pace that a lot of teams can play at. Even the likes of you know when you see Mayo, Mayo will be a different animal come championship. You know, and they will they'll be in the latter stages. You know, we we. Like I said to you a couple of weeks ago about Dublin and Mayo, like I think they're still the best two teams in the country. Yeah. But Cork have the have the ability, the opportunity to to kick on and be you know one of those teams. But I don't know. I, sometimes I don't understand it. You, you look at them and you love to, you love to shake some of them and just say, say like this is this is big stuff now. You know you you, you gotta you know you gotta up your game big time, but up the intensity. Uh, the the way they play football, they have to play football more direct because they don't suit, you know. Because many times they turn the ball over in the second were they not, half. But at the first half, though, half. were they not direct in Do, the first half as they were building a lead? Exactly. Why were they not direct in the second half? Mm. You know, I've seen that. I've seen this a couple of times. I've seen them play at Tyrone a couple of years ago uh, under Conor Cunningham, and they were hugely direct. They played Aidan Walsh at the edge of the mm. square. He was absolutely brilliant. Every ball that came in him, he caught it, he, t- he turned, he scored, or he laid it off to somebody coming through. It was perfect. It was exactly the way Ono Gara plays with the dubs, even though sometimes it's only we pop pass or different things like that. But uh, second half, they completely retreated in their shell. Uh, Paul Kerrigan said to, to solo over and back across the field. It was a solo fest the second half. They didn't get the ball in. The f- and eventually, they only got caught by a point, but they got beat. You know, and I think that's the sort of way they went about it yesterday. It's almost like we got ourselves into a great position by playing direct football. Now let's, you know, try and contain it a wee bit or, or play within ourselves. Yeah, or something like well, there are definitely uh, rough edges there with that Cork team, but I, I would still say that they have a lot of the they have a lot of the hard stuff. They have the corner yeah, forwards, you know. Exactly. They've they have guys yeah. that can score <laughs> from play that other teams just can't manufacture. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know that they do, they do have. Um, real talent in there and they do have they have actually the guys to play that direct game you know I mean we saw a couple of times Goulding hitting these brilliant 50 yard mm-hmm. passes uh, arc passes into Hurley I mean I think the aggression maybe maybe that's an issue alright you know there's not really an awful, an awful lot of dog in that there's team there's no Noel O'Leary no there's not yeah. you know and like <laughs> you were talking about direct game and you know Noel uh, had many things and he probably slowed Cork's game mm. up quite a mm. bit when he was there but they don't really, as you say, appear to have... You need you know, to have a bit of badness in every team. Yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of feel Aidan Walsh should like, 
going to stag weekend with Noel O'Leary. <laughs> yeah. And re- and just have him in his ear for the weekend. Just, you know, really wind it yeah. up. And just some alone time with Noel, yeah. Noel O'Leary. Yeah. Just, you know. Yeah. Just sitting down trees. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> up a tree with Noel O'Leary is what uh, it was desperately needs. Great advice. I'm sure we'll leave it at that. Ushi McGowan, Malky Clerk, and thanks so much. Cheers. Andrew, that's the question. That's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now... Come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight, tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Second Captains Football, available on irishtimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6 p.m. tonight. Tonight, 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 tonight. Uh, we should explain here, by the way, that Noel O'Leary is a tree surgeon. Yeah, we weren't. It's not just a. Str- it's not just some sort of cultish thing in Cork football that anytime you need to toughen up a player, you send them up a tree with Noel O'Leary. Yeah, that's for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> really, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound. It doesn't sound like the sort of thing that they would do anyway, unless Noel O'Leary was a tree surgeon. Happily, he is a tree surgeon. Ken, what about Oshin's theory? Every team needs a bit of badness in them. Yeah, well, you definitely do. Um... I mean, I'm trying to think of the last choir boyish team. Barcelona, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, there's Barcelona no bad. Barcelona don't have a huge amount of badness. Well, Sergio uh, Busquets. Right. We were talking about a team that had Busquets, Mascherano. Um, oh, yeah. Puyol? Know, I don't think Puyol's bad, though. He's sort of strong. You know what he reminds me a little bit of? Nora, the character who's the captain of the school hockey team in the um, Enid Blyton Whiteleaf school books. Um... <laughs> He's a he's a real Nora type, definitely the strongest boy in the school. But is he dirty? No, I don't, I don't no. think he is. No, but Busquets, in fairness, and Mascherano are dirty enough for any team. Um, the, like Busquets, Busquets, Busquets might be, is a, is he might a be snake. The most, yeah, he might be the most hateful player in football yeah. at the moment. Well, well, no. I wouldn't I wouldn't say he is, but he's definitely a, who's a, who's more hateful. He's than got a, he's got a sense. He's got a sense of the full range of possibilities. Busquets, you know, he's not going to limit himself to the. To the sportsman-like or legal possibilities in any given mm. situation, he chooses the best option, not the most sportsman-like or the or the one that's most within the rules. He's a good professional. Mascherano the same. Messi is not a is not a choir boy, but you know he's not a dirty player. But maybe they're the closest to to a team that won while being nice. Mm. So it is possible. And then they, yeah, and they were probably the best team ever. So I guess there goes the theory. What's coming up in second captain's football? That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to oh, now. I want down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What are you doing down here, you surely man? Actually, that question, oh, no, of uh, whether you need to be bad to win. Mm-hmm. Um, is explored at some is 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 really let's watch the Premier League on to see how bad you have to be because at the moment you have three teams one of whom has given itself up completely to the forces of evil and, and embraced uh, embraced uh, all those dark and chaotic possibilities in Jose Mourinho's Chelsea uh, one of them is is a sort of uh, well it's hard to say really what Liverpool are because. I mean, on the one hand, they've got these these young, raw, sort of fresh-faced talents like Sterling and Coutinho, who 
haven't done anything bad on the field so far in their careers. And Brendan Rodgers, who's, who, who literally just stands there spewing superlatives, you know, about everyone and everything. And then you've also got to remember that their their best player is Luis Suarez, who, <laughs> okay, he's, you know. There's a certain badness. Oh, well, there, we shouldn't say there's a badness about Luis Suarez. Uh, we well, could look, say that. Again, like Busquets, he's, gonna, he's a guy who... A professional. He, he selects the best option, not necessarily the fairest option to his... And then you've got Manuel Pellegrini in, in Manchester City, who aren't really the baddest... No, surprisingly good, because money is supposed to corrupt. Doesn't yeah. seem to have corrupted Manchester City, too, but they seem to be good. Well, it's sports. the love of money, you see. It's not money itself. Money itself just sits there in a bank account. But the love of money is the root of all evil. Maybe Chelsea love money a little more than Manchester City. I don't know. I can't say. You know, they don't have many bad guys on the field. And Manuel Pellegrini in the dugout affects the image of being a nice guy. He went around shaking hands with all the Liverpool players. A lot's being made of this. Shaking hands and, uh, and being friendly. Um, declining the opportunity to trounce the referee after his side had been mm. had not been given two really blatant... Well, not when I say really blatant, maybe they weren't. The soccer one was actually quite blatant. The, the Skirtle one was blatant on a replay. Maybe not immediately obvious to a referee, but, you know, I, I can no, imagine... Blatant on a replay is not really the dic- dictionary definition of blatant, though, really. Is no, it? it isn't, but but I can... I can Imagine that if Jose Mourinho has his, if his team had not been given that penalty, we would have heard a lot more about that decision than we did in the event from Manuel Pellegrini. Of course, Manuel Pellegrini walked out of there with how many points? Zero points. So I don't know. Let's let's talk more about this later on. Des Smith joins us now to chat about what was a great win and a popular victory, I guess, for Bubba Watson. Uh, well, no doubt about it, Des. It was certainly popular, but. Is there was there maybe something of a sense of anticlimax in how the tournament unfolded over the back nine? Uh, I don't think so. I think he looked the favourite after thirty six holes, and then he had a bit of a wobble in that third round, and he even admitted afterwards he got nervous. And is often the case when you're leading and you go into a bit of a defensive mode, and it's a very difficult golf course to do that on. But you know he was very comfortable yesterday. Um, uh, Jordan Speed was throwing a lot at him in, in the. Uh, early part of the round but uh, you know he, he, he answered all the questions and then I think the big change happened at um, 8 and 9 when when Jordan made two bogeys and, and he made two birdies and I think once that gap appeared he looked very comfortable down the back nine I don't think anyone would ever mistake Bubba Watson for say a Nick Faldo type figure but in the way that he actually seems to be able to focus on the back nine of these uh, certainly of the Masters is there something um quite steely about Bubba that's become apparent over the last couple of years. Yeah, I believe so. But you must also remember, he, he is very freaky. As long as I've been in the game, I've never seen any player like Bubba Watson. One, he, he, he's never had a lesson. Two, he's, you know, if he isn't the longest, he's almost the longest ball hitter that I've ever seen playing professional golf. And uh, he's able to control these enormous drives. I mean, what he did down 13 was just absolutely freakish yesterday. So he has that ability, and Augusta is a golf course that appears to suit his game very well. When you're watching that as a golfer, Des, uh, are you, can you even fathom where that no, ability came no, from? No, 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 blows your mind away. I've stood on that 13T a number of times. I never played the Masters, but I've played the course about four times. And, uh, you know, where, where he hit his drive, off that tee was just, it's nearly impossible to do. And then to have the courage to do it, because if he loses it right, 
he's in the woods. So, I mean, he's a guy that plays, for when he's in the mood, he plays a different game. Does it nearly make a mockery of uh, so much of uh, golf analysis, golf um, uh, punditry, when you see a guy like this who is, uh, it's, he it basically appears to be holding his swing together with sellotape, yeah. And uh, and yet he manages to to control the ball so beautifully over the the back nine of a major like we saw last night. Yeah, he's just a very lucky boy. He was given a huge talent, you know. He, I, I as I say, I don't know any other player in the history of the game that you could compare him to. He's just got enormous power. He plays his own type of game. He's very relaxed and casual, and he gets the job done. Now, in saying that, I don't think every golf course will suit him. I can't see him ever winning a British Open, and. And to the same extent, I can't see him winning a U.S. Open the way they tighten up. The, he needs a golf course with a bit of space so he can let go. Something we noticed uh, about, well, I think everybody noticed it, was how um, chatty, certainly in the front nine, himself and Jordan Speed seemed to be. They were congratulating each other on, on good shots. You, you, we always you kind of get the sense when Tiger was in a match play situation like that, there wouldn't be too much chatting. But did Bubba show that there, there are actually different ways of going about your business on a golf course? You don't necessarily have to intimidate a guy by um, you know, being maybe a little bit cool with him. You can intimidate him just by holding a load of birdies. Well, I think you can. Well, well, well. He's got the intimidating factor as regards his ball hitting, and then he has a lovely. He's a lovely touch around the greens as well. Listen, that's his style. You know, we've often said Tiger was a particular type of guy. Nick Fowler, Jack Nicklaus, Rory McIlroy is another. You know, Rory is is not a Tiger Woods, but you know, when he finds his form, he plays as good as any player in the world. So, I mean, all these guys are slightly different in their approach. You mentioned Rory there. He finally seemed to find a little something on the last day, but that, maybe that only adds to the sense of frustration. Have you got any theory, Des? I think everybody has some sort of theory as to why it's not quite happening for him at Augusta, given that I heard Paul Carrington in advance of the tournament saying that he felt if McElroy played even anywhere near his best, he would win, and if he played at his best, he could lap the field. Well, I think there's no doubt he's got the ability. Uh, uh, he's not as long as, as Bob and natural enough, but Rory has that type of ability that when he's in the mood, he, he can make the other guys look pretty average. Now, I, in saying that, I think he did absolutely fantastic. When you think he wasn't very comfortable, he made a lot of mistakes. He finished tied eighth. I mean, top 10 in a major is a big result. Now, for Rory McIlroy, it's not, but for a normal player, it is. So it just shows you his abilities. You, we were watching during the week. He made numerous three putts, he made loads of mistakes and he's still finished in the top ten. So is, pati- so, is patience the, the big, the key now for Rory, just that this actually will begin to happen for him again, he's only yeah, 24 I, years I of age. I don't think there's any doubt, I'm very confident, uh, I'd be very confident that Rory is going to win a green jacket someday, when, I don't know, but he has the game and the ability to do it and each time he goes back, he's made mistakes, he goes back with a little more knowledge. It, oh, I, I think it'll stand to him down down the road. It doesn't worry you at all, Des, that uh, we see what we see from him, say, on the Friday where he starts missing a few puts, he misses a few more, suddenly he pretty much plays himself almost out of the cut, but certainly out of contention. This seems to be a, a common theme with McElroy. Well, maybe this is unfair because he did come back over the weekend, but that when he's in with a chance, uh, or when he's leading, certainly he's going to win the tournament, but if he's out of it quite early on, you, you, you almost yeah, know what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, he's not the grinder, that's yeah. for sure. He's not a grinder like a lot of other players are. Um, but I think he, he's a very smart guy. He learns quickly. And I think, you know, I think he'll go back there with a better attitude each time he goes back.
And has he got a chance in the rest of these uh, this year? Do you think it could be a, ma- a major? Oh, yeah. move? I mean, look, I, I mean, listening to his interviews after the finish, he was really happy with the way he played yesterday. Uh, he says his game's in the right place. All he needs to do now is start making a few putts and. It's about momentum. As soon as he gets the mojo going, I don't think there's any doubt. He could win next week or the week after. You know, that's the type of player he is. All right, uh, Smith. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Not at all. You're welcome. Murph, you're a Bubba fan, I know. You were quite taken with how... I talked about it there a little bit with Des, how he showed a Nick Faldo-like. I don't know why I brought Faldo up as opposed to many of the other golfers. Well, he's the, the, you know, the boring golfer. But it's not not the boring golfer. It's the... uh, Steady Eddie. It's not just the Steady Eddie. It's the... I would I would imagine Nick Faldo if you were going head to head with him for a Masters title down the stretch I would imagine he wouldn't be too friendly that was and neither would Tiger um, but Bubba not a problem being friendly and not a problem still managing to psychologically grind his opponents out yeah the dynamic there that you were talking about with Dez is kind of interesting you know and I think maybe we we don't give Bubba enough credit for being a very very good golfer but at the same time you would say that he is a very emotional guy Mm-hmm. And that the various factors that co- that aligned for him to win the Masters yesterday in a different set of circumstances, then maybe Bubba doesn't play as well. Like if McElroy had met a charge and got to say even five under, I mean he was he was one he was one under playing the thirteenth, and he had his second shot into the water when you know another foot would have given him a really really good uh, chance at an eagle. I mean if McElroy posted a score, then maybe. Bubba tightens up a little bit, or alternatively, if he's playing with a season, if he's playing with Jim Furyk or Stuart Sink or something like that, maybe the dynamic that he had with Jordan Spieth for the hour before the round started and then all the way during the round, where he's being mega friendly to the young kid and the Jordan Spieth is the guy who is the guy most likely to crash and burn mm. uh, as you're watching the Masters last night. You're hoping that uh, Spieth keeps it together and doesn't let his age affect him. Bubba was basically the seasoned pro in that dynamic. I mean, if you put a guy who's 40 or, you know, mid-30s into his 40s with Bubba, then maybe the dynamic changes. Maybe Bubba feels very differently about his round. Yeah, I mean, I still argue that the main thing that would intimidate one player or another is birdies and scoring well, and Spieth was doing that, but what Bubba Watson was managing to do was, there was a spectacular play, if people didn't see it, by Spieth. 20 years of age, is that what we said? On the front nine, a couple of amazing birdies, a chip in, didn't he, at one stage? Was yeah, a from bunker. a bunker, yeah. Uh, and on the fourth. All the while, Bubba's like, yeah, just nip away and get a couple of birdies on the same holes, often uh, less spectacular looking at times, but just staying in contention at that stage but Speed was interesting because you're watching him thinking oh he looked unbelievably cool it wasn't as though he was nervy and I mean he was playing amazing stuff so you're thinking well what happened to McElroy a couple of years ago when he was a similar age isn't going to happen to Speed. maybe it's not going to happen because he's just playing so well it's not as though he's come in a few shots ahead mm. he's come in behind, be, uh, you know, was it in a tie for the lead and now he's playing really well he's gone a couple ahead but a couple of holes went badly for him then he's smacking the golf club off the ground I know it's just a small thing but straight away you're thinking oh, he's lost it now even though he was only maybe a shot down at that stage yeah, yeah, now he's yeah. gone yeah no I, I think the point I'm trying to make is maybe a more general one where you see with guys who are the youngest player on a team and then the second that someone else younger comes in they they automatically their role in the team automatically changes they say right okay now it's uh, now uh, not everyone is looking after me I look after this guy and I, ju- I just kind of think that Bubba might be the kind of guy where he's he was relieved to have a guy there to say, well, as nervous as I am, mm. this guy's more nervous 
and that yep. automatically has a calming effect on him. All right, we're going to be talking about Liverpool a little bit later on and the title race in general, but the amazing win over Man City and second captain's football. So do have a listen to that one. Hope you enjoyed this show for the time being. You can follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. I'd like to thank Kieran here. I'd like to thank you, Owen. Thanks, Owen. And thank if you. I could thank you, Ken, if, I, if we have time. Ken, yeah, thank you. You thanks, do have time. Yeah, it's the internet, Murphy, of all the time in the world. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.